Welcome back to episode 37 of Anime Deep Dive, the podcast that does in-depth reviews of different anime series. Due to the extent which plot points will be discussed, a spoiler warning will now be in effect. This is a spoiler review, so if you haven't seen a series and are only looking for a recommendation, there will be a timestamp in the episode description you can skip to called Final Thoughts. This section will be spoiler free where I give my overall opinion on a series and whether or not I think it's worth your time to watch it. So now that that's out of the way, let's deep dive into Record of Grandcrest War. Released in 2018 by Studio A1 Pictures, it has 24 episodes and comes in both sub and dub. I watched the sub version. The first introduction of Crest is from the head of each faction pulling them out against the Demon Lord, not that it did them much good. That's what I figured a standard Crest looks like, so when Teo pulls out his dinky little one that barely covers his hand, I was like isn't that adorable. Teo gained a Crest from his own will formed out of a Chaos Core. He didn't steal the power from somebody else. Teo still believes in the Crest's true purpose, protecting people from chaos, not using them to attain power. Teo inspires loyalty in people quickly, Lassic surrendered and joined him fairly easily, Priscilla sought him out on her own accord. Teo is no wimp, he's a live in the moment kind of guy, for example when he pulls Silica out on the dance floor after admitting he has zero knowledge of dance. Teo's design was cool, I liked the green coat matching his hair and his sword was slick. His best design feature is his armored up arm. It's referred to as a shield and it works like one without being the typical clunky round shield. Which is harder to move but protects a larger surface area. I was for sure I knew the name for having an arm done up this way but for the life of me I could not remember what it was called. I asked friends and did research but I was still left with many different options to what all the pieces could be. There was gauntlet, vombrace, spalder, and pauldron. I even heard shingle or roof tile armor. I don't want to come on here and say it's one thing if it isn't, so hopefully someone more knowledgeable about these things will shoot me an email and let me know the proper names for this. Regardless, it was not only visually appealing, I loved its utilization in Teo's fighting style. He will let his opponent work, take the punishment, and survive the onslaught. When his opposition is gassed, he strikes. The fact the armor wasn't impenetrable was good. When Teo blocked the magic blast from Yana, afterwards you see his arm is completely dead. He had to catch the werewolf queen with only one arm when she was falling. Teo's motivation is to liberate his homeland from an oppressive rule. You know it must have been bad risking death on that rinky-dink raft he sails away on. I feel Teo should have kept the same energy as when he left the village. Screw y'all. They have no ambition to be free from the Rosinis. They handed Teo's father over to be killed when he kept them fed. Rebecca, who I saw betraying him from a mile away, turned on him. These knobs didn't deserve liberation. Having Rebecca be the only villager killed seems like a double win to me. Screw her. Teo threw morals out the window during his time back home, lodged a hatchet into Salvador's back, and stabbed Dorney's horse through the neck just to get to him. Watching Teo systematically murder the Rosini children until he showed up on their front steps like, relinquish everything to me, it was so satisfying. I wish Teo had kept going this dark way, instead he concedes and lets the remaining rats continue breathing. Silica is a confident and talented mage, her goal is to rid the world of chaos. I'm happy she said it so I didn't have to, her uniform is whack. Put aside it leaves little to the imagination, the floating cape looks so dumb. Of course a mage's weapon is their wand, but I love how Silica keeps her wand on the odor thigh, just like a holstered sidearm. I'll give Silica credit, she doesn't hide during battles, we see her electrify an entire squad, so it's funny Silica, a powerful young mage who we see command the elements, is a victim of seasickness. Everyone had to travel by land to accommodate her. Silica is like a child who throws a tantrum when she doesn't get her way. Look at her outburst towards Villar when he chooses to remain faithful to the Union and let them enter peace talks instead of attacking. When it comes to Teo and Silica's relationship, I actually have a different opinion than most. 
I feel Silica doesn't have romantic feelings for Teo and she used him the entire series. I'll go through my reasons why. We see Silica in a position she doesn't want to be in getting shipped off to Villar. Their perception is he gathers good-looking female mages under the age of 25, dresses them up in skimpy attire, and has them mostly for eye candy. Silica actually wants to change the world and feels she'll be limited under Villar. When she meets Teo, she sees someone who is naive enough to be manipulated, but decent enough that she can mold him into a decent lord and put her into the position that she wants. This is supported by Silica asking Irvin what he thinks of Teo's sword skills against the soldiers, and he says that he's not completely hopeless. Silica forces her pledge of loyalty onto Teo. He never asked to enter a contract with her, he actually inquired if he could go elsewhere and use another mage. Silica doesn't care for Teo's well-being, she makes him claim union while surrounded by alliance territories. Then she tries to jump from one side to the other, failed, and makes Teo look non-trustworthy. The entire series Teo follows Silica's guidance and plans. Teo is the puppet while Silica is the mastermind pulling the strings from behind the scenes. By the second episode, Teo reached the rank required to complete his goals to govern his hometown, but Silica starts getting him involved in wars like it's no big thing. Teo is thrown in the fire for Silica's dreams, not his own. Silica goes against Teo's wish to not have the townspeople fight. She pushes him to grant them the divine blessing and put them in battle. And she was quick to jump up and speak when Teo became the leader of the treaty because all she wants to do is use him for his influence. Shoto to Silica's adopted father, he put his duties as a mage before his own desires. Advises Marine to reject Silica and Teo, knowing he is going to have to fight them. Silica never does that for Teo. When he's explaining to Alexis, it was a no-brainer to give up everything for Silica, because she's so important to him, it shows a close-up look of guilt on her face because she knows she's using him. On the relationship side, when the two of them have their moment in the tree, Teo is taking the lead in expressing interest in a relationship. When Silica asks him, do you know my feelings for you, it doesn't sound like she's bashful. It sounds like she's fishing to see if he believes that she's into him. Teo's answer is how he's unsure if she liked him, he thought he might have imagined it, the signs aren't clear because she's playing him. Up to this point there was not one instance that conveyed Silica had an interest in Teo. Listen to how robotic she is, Sir Teo, can I take it that you're in love with me? It sounded like Silica was ensuring that she had her hooks into him. Her facial expressions and body language when Teo was holding her doesn't look embarrassed, it seemed like she was uncomfortable and doesn't want to be there. Look at how she showed affection and held Aishila. Silica has never shown emotion like that with Teo. The final nail in the coffin for this confession is Teo goes in for the kiss, Silica doesn't kiss him back, and she keeps her eyes open way too long. If a girl doesn't close her eyes when kissing you, that's a red flag. Look when Marine had to kiss Milza, eyes wide open. Later in the kiss, Silica does get a little red and close her eyes, but that was just a haha mission success, we got him. Now I know I'm being a hater. The more I watched this scene, the more I thought Silica was just an awkward person who isn't used to expressing emotion. But if you look at the entire series, she always came off confident and personable, so why act strange now with Teo? She did not want to kiss Teo in front of the troops to get under Marine's skin either. Silica herself says she will stoop to any means to achieve her goals. I believe this included pretending to love Teo in order to keep him following her instructions. When Teo asked Silica to marry him, I saw guilt from her for playing him so long. Not actually loving him, she pulls the, oh, Teo, you could have any girl, why choose me? Like, why is she trying to brush him off? The way she put her hand on his scream friend zone. Again, she seemed very thrown off by physical contact when Teo embraced her, and I think she pulled him around and now believes getting with him is like the right thing to do. She doesn't seem excited at all, the most she could muster was a tear, but they were tears of guilt. She was thinking, I really got this poor sap to fall for me. 
Now observe any girl on this planet. The man she loves asks her to marry him. They break down, put their hands over their mouth, get excited, hug him, kiss him. Silica showed more emotion hugging her father at the summit than she did with Teo this entire series. Did you see the way she reacted when he announced their engagement in front of everyone? She looked at her dad first. She might have had a father complex. If I propose to a girl and she says okay but let's keep it a secret, not tell anyone until our goals are reached, which realistically could take years, that's worse than her saying no in my opinion and I'm taking my proposal back. The stipulation don't die before me, yeah, it's because she would have to live knowing he died because of the position she forced him into. Silica also slipped up saying Teo can return home after Alexis takes over the Emperor Crest. Oops, I mean we can return home. She doesn't want to live with you after her goal is reached, you fool. The final point to make is their wedding day. Silica arrives late, and this is a double wedding with the other couple being a person who claimed to be your friend after one night of listening to him cry about his feelings. The other was the leader of the opposition that killed many of your friends and comrades. Ask any girl you know, would you share your wedding day with your best friend? You would see Bridezilla emerge. This is my special day. All eyes need to be on me. I've dreamed of this moment since I was a little girl. Guaranteed these would be some of the responses you would receive. So if a girl wouldn't share her wedding day with her best friend, why would she share it with complete strangers? If Silica was serious about wanting to marry Teo, she would never agree to this ridiculous setup. By the way, Maureen, it's been three years, why are you still wearing black at your wedding? Oh, that's right, it's not like you can wear white. Also, look at the difference in the kisses. Silica's still acting weird about kissing Teo, and she has her eyes open again. Moving on, Irvin was sick, I loved his battle in the woods with all the throwing knives. One of them even looked like a batarang. The wolf twins Luna and Emma, I like to imagine the queen didn't know she was having twins, so the first girl came out and she was like, "Oh, my daughter, I'm gonna name her Luna, being wolves and all. Then the second baby comes unexpectedly, like, damn, what are we gonna call this one? I don't know, something generic like Emma? Emma and Luna were awesome in their own right, I'm a huge fan of wolves. Their dynamic of working with Irvin was really good. I enjoyed that trio. I will say the three of them were criminally underutilized in this series. I would have loved to see more of them. Some of their highlights were when Teo was attacked by the Rossini men while Alexis was leaving his place. The girls tossed Teo his sword and then get to work themselves. They were biting out jugulars in this fight. Using twin telepathy to execute a combo attack getting high enough to shred Yana down her back was nasty. Next up is Milza. He has a thing for ambition and doesn't understand Teo's choice to relinquish his titles for a single mage. Teo kills him with kindness, which leads to their first confrontation. Teo, for not having much talent a few months prior, did well against Milza, who we see later as a monster. Milza strongly backed Villar to be emperor. His line about being the leader's fangs was cool. I recognize it correlates with the ideals Milza has shown the entire season, but I was a little surprised he switched sides. I get Villar turned out to not be the man Milza wished he was, turning down the role of leader in the union, but switching sides for some ass doesn't seem like something Milza would get involved with. He then murders his father and anyone who stood with him. Marine must have that bomb thing and she can have a man murder his own people. I loved Milza's dagger with the scorpion engraving on the bottom of the blade. And Milza had some of the sickest action pieces in this series. Being surrounded in the castle, he gave them a sweet deal, three days to take whatever you can, no violence needed. This sick lord tries to pimp his daughters to keep his status. Milza picks the one decent man in the room to live to tell the story. Giving no second chances, blade in mouth, through the back of the head, twist, wrist flick, and devastating kill. Milza is agile for how jacked he is, didn't even take one hit in this fight. Milza is the lone wolf type, doesn't want any troops to accompany him to the castle. 
If you're in formation, you have to hold the line. In the movie 300, it explains each Spartan protects the one to their left from thigh to neck with their shield. The Spartans move as one unit. I always liked that scene and thought it was dope. Milza with the opposite approach spits one of the most memorable parts of this series. When you're solo, it's easier to fight if the enemy surrounds you. Everything is a threat. Milza isn't restricted by caring for a comrade or having a friendly get in the way of his movements. We see him jumping from horse to horse, killing the man riding each. It reminded me of some Assassin's Creed games. I sucked at the naval combat in Assassin's Creed, so I'm just like Milza, get close enough to jump on the enemy's ship and take them down with your own blade. The captain of the ship deserves respect. Everyone bail out, let's burn this sucker down. And Milza takes him down with the Assassin's Creed 2 move, dagger to the foot. Watching Milza and Lassa cross swords was dope. It was the first time Milza had anyone who was able to go against him. I love watching Milza fall back like a punk. I'm all for a strategic retreat, but at this point Milza was cocky and arrogant. He talked all that I want war business, so Marine pushed him hard. I think battle after battle got to him. He let his ego take over after everyone kept warning him about Teo. He got reckless and attacked in a less than ideal environment in the forest. Marine's goodie box must be cursed. Things for Milza went downhill after he got in those sweet walls. He was too scared to face Lassic head up the second time around and he puts all his efforts onto getting to Teo. Now the battle I'd been waiting for. Milza is by far the most menacing force this entire series and Teo is our main hero. The shot of Teo in the reflection of Milza's blade was sick. I have to say I was disappointed in the animation quality of this fight. Up to this point there had been many great fights that looked solid. This was the battle to dump the budget into, instead we got sloppy visuals to the point it got embarrassing. Teo disarming Milza and the blade going flying through the air looked horrible. This was the defining moment for this series and it came out looking lackluster. Honestly this entire duel looked fan made. Next up is Marine. I hate Marine so much but I recognize what led her on the path of dumb shit she does. Watching your father beheaded on your wedding day would be horrifying for anyone. She now always wears black as a sign of mourning his death. She believes her father was killed in a premeditated plot because of her and Alexis's marriage. So by not marrying him, you gave the killers exactly what they wanted. Marine should have accepted the peace treaty when Alexis became the ruler of the Union. She freaking marries him down the line anyway. If she hadn't been so stubborn, Villar would be alive, thousands of soldiers would still be walking the earth, and she would still have her virginity. Marine has always been tough. She stood up for herself at the masquerade ball and kicked the creep in the junk after he dropped Alexis. Marine has no honor now though. She was open to using poison gas to win a battle and refuses to let the opposition surrender. That's whack. From the opening, flicking blood off her sword, I thought she was with the shits. Pulling up to all the battles, I thought she was going to lead by example. Instead, she waited till her enemy was on his last legs before coming in to end him. Coward moves. Marine did not deserve a happy ending with Alexis. Alexis is not a fighter, but he is a good man. He went to help Marine at the soiree when the creep was harassing her, not because he knew it was her, he was simply helping someone in need. Alexis is a lover of the arts and he helps the children in town by giving them money, not for charity, but to introduce them to singing. I love Alexis's personality and way of thinking in theory, but not in practicality. His desire of everyone get along, stop fighting, let's pick an emperor and end the chaos area, the world he lives in doesn't revolve that way. Wake up and get out of dreamland. I was impressed with Alexis' attempt to step down to let someone else rule when it came to war with the Alliance. It takes a man with no ego to admit they're not just compromised because he's fighting against the love of his life, but there are people better suited to rule when it comes to military intelligence. Alexis should have manned up, shut down peace talks with his council, and went to war. Instead he waited too long to grow a pair. 
After Lord Villar, Solon, and so many others were killed, I will say I got hyped when Alexis took his sword and staff off the wall, made his march down the hall, mounted up and rode to the gates of that weasel traitor. Alexis is the creative type, the way his soldiers formed in battle with their flower pattern, and how he commands troop like he's the maestro of a symphony was awesome. It did piss me off seeing how many soldiers Alexis had. He could have saved so many lives if he had helped from the start. Some of his forces just twirl flags and beat drums. That's how many people he has riding with them. This series made the same mistake twice, another awesome battle ruined with trash drawing. When the Nord leader got on Alexis's boat, there were such awesome moments. Lord Eric can't even be called a man anymore, he is a beast. He takes a spear cannon blast straight through the chest and acts like it didn't even happen. We've seen those things take down Khaleesi's dragons. Alexis fainted at his wedding when things kicked off instead of protecting his bride who had to catch him as he fell. Marine was always the alpha in the relationship, so her wanting to keep Alexis out of the war did make sense. When Alexis tells Teo when the marriage was called off he wanted to kill himself, I wanted to say bro quit being dramatic, especially when you see what Marine does just to get an upper hand in battle. Alexis is taking all these measures for her when she could care less about him. She wasn't thinking about Alexis when she let Milza smash for some extra troops. Marine is nasty bro, she hoed herself out and made her maidens disrobe her knowing what she was doing was wrong. She put them in an awful position. Marine is trash. The entire series Alexis always thought about Marine. Where was that consideration in return? She was devastated by her father's murder, but Alexis's dad was killed right along with him. Why wouldn't you lean on each other? Marine wasn't there for Alexis mourning the death of his parents. She wouldn't even speak to him. I was happy we got an entire episode flashback to how Marine and Alexis met. Coming into the series, we only see her as a cold-haired woman. It was good to see that she wasn't always like that. It would have been a tough sell to convince the audience a savage like Marine would fall for a soft-hearted dude like Alexis. It's typical simp behavior, but I have to respect the game. Alexis got hit with love at first sight and he put in the work. Crazy stacks of love letters, putting the time in to arrange a giant sparkle rose. He never let initial rejection get him down. Marine was the aggressor who went in for the first kiss. Earlier I went on quite the tear on how Silica wasn't interested in Teo, and I was beginning to question myself. One of my biggest pieces of evidence was the way Silica kissed Teo. The thought crossed my mind that the animators just didn't know how to convey emotion, but that's not the case. Look at Alexis and Marine's kiss. Both Marine and Alexis are smiling and happy. There was passion, so I know the creators are capable of showing two people in love. This furthered my belief Silica was a scumbag just toying with Teo. I knew Alexis was going to take Marine back, even after she banged Milza. I just didn't think he'd be so bitch-made about it. Alexis asked, did you love him? What did you say? Did she love him? Like that makes any difference? Imagine your girl comes up to you like, hey, I got racked out by this wide-backed savage of a man over an ocean view under the moonlight. You start freaking out like, how could you? And her response is, calm down, honey. I didn't love him though. Are you going to be like, oh, thank God, you scared me for a minute. You should have said that in the first place. We're completely good, sweetie, as long as you didn't love him. Come on, Alexis, have some respect for yourself. Marine even used the classic line, it was just one time. I'm going to say Alexis is a missionary position, put a pillow under her head, light some candles, flower petals on the bed kind of guy. Marine for the rest of her life is going to think about that one time she got blown out by Milza. We all saw him go beast mode in that thing. Alexis is never going to top that. This series had a few episodes too many for me. I thought it would have been best ended with Alexis and Marine getting back together than immediately dealing with the Mages Academy. Skip to the wedding and we're done. I just didn't care for the Holy Grail story or fighting the Vampire King who really did nothing this entire series. Then they let him live, which was just stupid. 
Having all this, especially towards the end of the season, was weak in my opinion. Vlasic vs. the Cyclops was another animation flop. At this point the studio should have been ashamed to put this out. It could have been an amazing fight but the quality was terrible. There were such good moments, the mage who left Alexis got crushed by the chains, that's karma, and the guy who hardens his body got repeatedly stomped into the ground. This fight had such potential. This series had so many hit or miss battles, most of which I touched on earlier. The last thing I wanted to mention is how beautiful it was when Villar and Margaret went out together. The camera shots of him slicing down soldiers and her blasting everyone away until she turned to ash was a real highlight in this series. I wanted to give it a moment of shine. And Villar's crest was huge, I didn't realize he was that strong. Even after death his men stayed loyal and continued to fight a losing battle. Nitpicks. During the battle against the first CG army, the captain who can turn his skin solid is in this battle with both eyes after Irvin had clearly destroyed the right one with a throwing knife. Teo travels away from his country in the opening, washes up on a random shore and there just happens to be this white steed staring at him. He somehow approached and tamed it on the first day, like get out of here. More than a few times during this season there would be an extended shot in which a large background would be seen with no movement when there should have been. The most distracting examples are when characters are at a party. All the background guests that should have at least a head twist or an arm movement are completely still for a crazy long time. It looked as if the main cast are standing in front of a painting rather than a lively event. Does Irvin drive a carriage for everyone? He was the driver for Marine when she first met Alexis six years before this series even started. During a scene when Teo and Silica are doing rounds of the domain, they save a little girl from a wasp looking creature. The girl they save has purple skin. Why is it purple? When Teo and Silico shelter themselves from the rain in the hollow tree, the horse gets left out in the rain. There was plenty of room in that tree for that horse. Why build your castle next to a lake of poisonous gas that was just begging to be used against you? As I mentioned a few times earlier in this review, this series had some shoddy quality when it came to certain fight scenes. The most egregious is Yana's face when she tried to destroy Teo after he kills Dorney. I mean, it looked like a seven-year-old drew that. When Milza rolled up to Teo's castle door in the forest, they began to leave. Why didn't Teo's men start shooting arrows at them as they tried to walk away? At this point, it's war, baby. Shoot the man in the back. When the Nords are preparing to board Alexis's ships, the leader activates his crest, which causes water to splash up on his soldiers. I would have been like, hell no. I'm not going into battle soaking wet. It's already freezing out here. The animations of the slaves rowing the Nords' boats look ridiculous. It was like they were having seizures or something. Why didn't Silica tell all the mages to break their wands before having a meeting about consolidating the armies to attack them? Now they know you're coming. When they tied Aishila up after becoming a traitor, I realized she didn't want to escape, but we've seen her jump, those weak ropes wouldn't have held her down. Quote of the series, Allow me to guide you to the afterlife. If that's not some gangster shit to say before kissing then choking an enemy, I don't know what is. Best girl waifu and harem. I feel I made it very clear I'm not a huge fan of either Silica or Marine. Best girl is Aishala. Aishala was Silica's senior at the Magic Academy, even though she never graduated. Her relationship to Silica was very reminiscent of Sayaka and Himuragi from Strike the Blood. Aishala's armor didn't cover everything, but it looked fire. The chest housing the different attachment heads for her staff was cool too. Her action pieces were some of the nastiest in the series. When she was wrecking all the heavily armored soldiers before she got shot out of the sky, it was great. Aishila was the only one who wanted all the smoke when the Pope killed Priscilla. I was with her, man. Kill them all. I'd say it was a pretty one-sided desire, but Aishila being all over that one guy who made things difficult for her in battle was fun. I don't blame him being terrified of her. She damn near killed him a few times. 
I loved Aishila and then my heart was broken. She was snitching the entire time. Luckily she was cursed and forced to do these things. She wasn't a traitor of her own free will. How much of a failure is this secret organization? Look how far Silica got with them knowing all of her plans in advance. As for waifu, I don't think there's any waifus in this series. And harem, I don't. I wouldn't put any of these girls in my harem either. Alright, now we're going to get into final thoughts. I appreciated this series' willingness to cut out the filler. Sometimes it would jump from one battle to another, and other times it would skip over a fight completely and inform the viewer of the result. Characters would pop in and out of this series with no explanation to where they had been, and I felt that was real. If you can be forgiving of some low animation points, this show is still overall good. I would recommend you check out Record of Grand Crest War for a magic medieval battle series. Alright, that's going to be it for this week's review. Hope to catch you in the next one. Bye.